If you're trying to stay focused on getting work done and eating throughout the day is something you think about, have to decide, and you're not sure what to do, and you just wish an option was available where the right meal with all of the specifications you want be available to you, easy to make, under two minutes, well, luckily for you, Factor is available where you have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie. And you can enjoy over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons to help you make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. So what are you waiting for? You can get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking up for something fast that's upscale option done very easily. It's flexible on your schedule where you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. No prep necessary. They're 100% ready to heat and eat. So there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup necessary. Head to factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and use code sellingwithlove50 to get 50% off. That's code sellingwithlove50 at factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and you'll get 50% off. Not bad. A lot of times people determine if they like doing something based on who they're doing it with. Those are not connected. I don't like the environment that I work in. That's not connected to do you like doing what you do. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Valley podcast. Hi, everybody. Jason Campbell here, and I have the one and only Lisa Nichols with me. Lisa, thank you for coming on the show here. Oh, you're welcome, Jason. I love anything you guys are up to. I love you. So I'm excited to have this delicious conversation. You bet. And so people here, they're listening. We want to be superhumans at work. And for you, I know your mission is all about motivating the masses. Can you tell us more about what journey you've been on? I've been on a journey of a lot of self-discovery, finding out who I am in the moment, finding out how my past choices have led to who I'm being in the moment. And then how do I uncover the awareness and the action to be the person I'm becoming? So first it was a journey of, I just want to be better for me. I wasn't touching my full. I wasn't touching my 100, as I call it. I was touching my 70. And though my 70% was impressing people, I wanted to discover my 100 and then I wanted to discover my 159. Then I wanted to see what superhuman felt like. And then I realized that it was about serving and giving and helping others to discover. So my company, Motivating the Masses, does what the name says. We want to motivate, inspire and transform the masses to tap into and touch the best version of themselves. And let's jump right into that. So why is it that we're so compelled to always be like, I've seen myself operate at that 70% as well. And you're right. A lot of times I can get away with it. Why is it that we step to that? And what pushed you to get to that hundred and what could help others do the same? Yeah, well, particularly with superhumans, and I say superhumans facetiously because we are ordinary people choosing every day to be extraordinary beings. So to make the decision to have a superhuman or a superheroes or a super sheroes journey, a gladiator's journey, that is the road less travel. And when we're playing at 70%, it's because our 70%, your 70%, if you're looking at this podcast, I'm sure you're in the category that your 70% is a lot of people's 
And so oftentimes when we get stuck in playing at 70%, it's because we're impressing so many people with 70%. And we forget, hey, this is not my 100. I can't mistake your 100 with my 100. (laughs) And so that's number one, that I think we stay in that space. I stayed in that space because it seemed to get the job done. And it wasn't that I was being lazy. Mm -mm, I played full out at my 70%. (laughs) I just wasn't playing to my own 100. And then when we have this thing called cognitive dissonance, which is when your mind knows you can do more, be more, but your actions and your lifestyle doesn't match that. (laughs) Man, the brain won't let you off the hook. You know, that's where people's guilt comes from. And I say, don't live in guilt, live in awareness. Once you are aware where you put the wall, it really is a swinging door. You can never, ever see it as a wall again. You go, no, no, it looks like a wall. It's painted like a wall, but there's a knob on it and it opens up and there's a whole nother room of who I can continue to become. You can't unaware that the brain expanded can never, ever take its original form again. It's forever expanded. That's awareness. And so when you have a gladiator like you, like me, like everyone listening to this, become aware of who we can become, we want to touch it. I want to know who I can become before I leave this planet. I want to know how full, how much can I put in that dash, that dash between my birthday and my transition day? How much can I put in it? We want to know that. And we become hunters, hunters of possibility, hunters of new terrain. We become door of the explorer. We put on a hat, turn on the light, and we begin to explore who can I become. And when we don't do that, we feel as if we've let ourselves down. Because we all have a dance. We're not hunting 24-7. We take breaks. And you're able to take breaks. There are times when you hunt, you move hard to who you can become. There are times when you need to find your pace and you're pacing it. And there are times when you need to sit down and catch your breath and make sure you're on the right path that you designed for you versus the path that someone else designed for you. And I'd say I'm someone who's find myself actually following a path that wasn't truly mine. And that kind of made me stay in that 70% because I didn't feel like playing full out in that path. What's something someone can do to really make that course correction or get that awareness of what path I'm in is the right one? So the first is to know that the answers that you'll get from yourself are based on the quality of the questions that you're willing to ask yourself. And a lot of times we won't ask ourselves the in-depth question or the scary question or the elephant in the room question or the whatever we call that question, scary, hairy question, because we know following the question, the mind goes and it searches for an answer, right? And so the quality of your questions determine the quality of your answer. The first thing to do to find out if that path is yours or what path you're on or what's the next path, you know, what should I do with all this brilliance, all this talent, all this skill set and this age and this dynamic, all the stuff that's you, what should I do with it is to ask very detailed questions. When I begin to ask explorative questions, I stay away from generality. So I recommend you stay away from generalities and you adopt and embrace specificity, meaning what makes me happy in the area of serving others? What makes me happy and brings me joy in this relationship? What do I need? If this relationship ended and I could never see this person again, what would I miss about them? Because that's really what you value. A lot of times I coach a lot of people and they're frustrated that their partners don't have the same drive that they have. 
Like, I'm a go-getter. I'm driven. I'm this. And my partner, they love to serve me. They love to love on me. They love, but I need them to go do their thing. And I go, okay, great. So if the relationship ended tomorrow and they went away, they were shipped into another country, other side of the world, you wouldn't see them. You ended amicably. It was nice. It was good. They just had to go away. What would you miss about them? I normally hear, oh, I miss the way she encourages me. I miss the way she listens to me. I miss the way she holds me in my darkest hour. Everything they say they miss has nothing to do with their career. And I go, and why is it you want to make them an entrepreneur? So make sure that you are spending energy on that that you truly value. So I would ask questions. What brings my heart joy? Is it working with people? And give some detailed examples so your brain can start searching. Your brain will search and will pick a A, B, C, or D choice much easier than it just comes up with the answer. So do I value working with people? Do I value working on electronics? Do I value working with adults more? Do I value working with teens more? Do I value speaking? Just give yourself some options and then let your heart jump. Fill your heart. The reason why it's hard to think about it and figure it out is because you're trying to make a passionate and intuitive and physical and feeling decision based on a thought. How do you feel about it? I'm very clear that when I think about traveling, I don't get a good feeling. When I think about inspiring people all over the world, it makes my heart sing. So I will accept and adopt traveling so I can get to the people versus saying I don't like doing my job because I got to travel. No, I love getting to the people. I have to travel as a way. Let me attach myself to the main part or let me say that I don't want to do any of it. So asking that question. Wow. So we just got a couple of great ideas from here. And I actually want to relate to my own story because I've seen myself in the workplace saying, I didn't want to face the real questions of finding what is it that makes me shine. But what I noticed in my own journey is when I started gravitating towards the things that really make me light up, things that are actually quite similar to you, like getting on this podcast, interviewing some amazing guests, going on a stage, and actually getting the community together, I saw the level of energy I would show up for those activities and it would demand the same amount of energy than doing all the tasks that just never moved the needle that much. And I was doing a disservice to myself and a disservice to Valley for the employer that I'm currently working for. And so would you encourage people to have that conversations within the workplace to get themselves working on things that are more clear to what's kind of like their agenda of the soul? Well, it's two part. It's to understand ultimately what contribution do you want to make to your team? Let's go at 185,000 feet up. What contribution do you want to make to your team? Understanding that here's the result that I produce on a team. And I like that result. Get tied into the result. Don't get sold out on the process yet. Very seldomly do you get sold out on the process. Get sold out on the result. Here's the result I produce. Here's the result I own. Here's the contribution to my team that I make. Ooh, those three things. Those three things. Here's what you can count on me for. Here's the value that I add to this organization, this team, this department, this division. Get really, really clear on that. And then decide, do I like that? I like that. I like that contribution. So do it in phases, Jason. It's not all in one phase. So hold on. Here's what I bring to the table. Now, a lot of times people determine if they like doing something based on who they're doing it with. Those are not connected. Those are not connected. I don't like the environment that I work in. That's not connected to do you like doing what you do. 
You can address that, but don't address it all clumped together. I like the result I produce in the world. Okay, great. Now we got that down. Now, do I like how I get to the result? Ah, that needs to be tweaked. Make sure you're fixing the right part of the car. Make sure you go under the hood and you're not trying to fix the exhaust when you should be fixing the brakes. People say the car doesn't work. No, no, no. The steering wheel is fine. The wheels are fine. You just got an overheating problem. So go to the radiator. Don't go to the taillights. Go to the radiator. So treat your life that way. Treat your life that way to go. I like the result I produce. I like the team I'm doing it with. Here's the part that would feel better for me. Now, in most relationships and in the workforce, we can resolve and get more clarity by doing a technique I call plus three. And the plus three is to find three things you love, like, love, admire, or respect about your role. Plus three. And when you plus three, you're starting from a place of added value, from a place of yes, from a place of positive, from a place of full, from a place of volume. Then you use the sentence, it would work better for me if, and then you go down and you find three things that you can do to make the environment better. So when you're in a workforce, I call it an intrapreneur. So there's entrepreneurs working on their own, and then there's intrapreneurs. I'm inside this corporation working on a team, and I want my brilliance and my genius to be shared. Well, when you're doing that and you want effective communication, always ask, what are three things I like, love, admire, or respect about this environment already? And then what are three things that would support me for me to move forward in my passion and my dream? So you're not doing extreme changes. You're doing needlepoint move changes and modifications. It seems like a really powerful technique here because I feel a lot of times people throw the baby out with the bathwater as the expression goes. They say the car doesn't work and the car works. The tires work, the steering wheel works. It's just the exhaust pipe. I love the example here and especially with the fact that it seems like here we're talking about really taking responsibility of what you want your work experience to be. And what happened is a lot of times I've seen myself blame others or say like, oh, this isn't happening. I don't like this. And I would actually not do anything to change it. You're resigned. You're resigned in the problem. I think that happens a lot when you forget the critical part you play in this entire equation. It's recognizing that when you make a dish, when you make lasagna, you're not making lasagna first. When you make lasagna, you're making a sauce first. Then you make pasta. Then you saute vegetables. Then you do the herbs. Is to realize you are the pasta. So if the lasagna doesn't taste good, let's modify because you're the pasta. And so recognizing I produce this result in this organization. I own that. I'm a value add contribution. And a lot of times when people become resigned, it's because they feel as if their voice isn't being heard. And a lot of times when someone's feeling as if their voice isn't being heard, they're not necessarily using it in the most effective manner or they're not using it at all. And so, yeah, I don't hear your voice. You haven't used it lately. You're doing more talking in your head or here's the other key thing, Jason. You're talking to people who cannot influence the outcome. Mm, tell us more about that. Oh man, this is a big one. And we do this all the time. By the way, we do this in relationships as well. So feel free to take any of this advice and apply it to both work and family. We begin to pour the problem that we're having into someone who can't influence the outcome. And so 
we're building and we're having a groundswell of this frustration or this concern because we're giving voice to it and energy grows where energy goes. And so we're actually giving it more energy without giving the conversation to someone that can influence the outcome. And so you do that enough and now you're living in this great ball of negative energy, resigned energy, but you never really gave the operation, the team, the organization, the right ingredients so that we can solve it. So we can up level because you're talking to people who cannot influence the outcome. And so that was key for me to learn. I feel like this is falling right into the segment of the fact that people prefer to gossip about a problem than actually solve it. Why are we drawn to just do that? Why aren't we just addressing it head on? Because gossip seems easier. The illusion we've told ourselves is gossip is easier. And then we want to collect evidence to make ourselves right. Our ego really wants us to be right all the time. And so when you gossip, you're collecting evidence because you only tell the story from your experience. It's not a neutral story. You're not telling a neutral experience. You're telling a very biased experience from your lenses so that you collect evidence and you collect alignment. So you want alignment and you want evidence so that you feel right because we always want to feel right. So that's the ego, serving the ego. And what's funny that you just said gossip is when I teach this to my students, I say, When you're sharing with someone who can't influence the outcome, you're just gossiping. And people say, oh, I don't gossip. I say, have you ever shared with someone who couldn't influence the outcome, the problem? And they say, yes. Then you were unconsciously gossiping. And the other part of that is we don't know how to have what I call care frontation. So care frontation is when there is a breakdown. There is a breakdown. We do need to work on something. And I want to work on it. But because I don't necessarily know how to have this uncomfortable conversation to get to resolution that could test my ability to listen and be heard, I'm going to resolve to gossiping. (laughs) Mm, I really like this front segment we just talked about here because we're really talking about, first off, playing full out is really a choice. If you're at 70%, 150%, you're putting in the same kind of energy, but you're not as aligned. And when you get clear, you get aligned, you can run at that 150% and it uses the same amount of energy. You're still tired at the end of the day. This is true. And instead of pouring your energy into these activities like this gossiping or this pouring the problem into people that can't change the outcome, you're just spinning your wheels and you're not taking ownership. And I want to transition to this core element that you teach so much about that I think is so powerful, which is all about this aspect of understanding why communication is so important in the space of really solving these issues and thriving forward. So understand that communication is a form of relationship. And when you go down to the core that we are in a relationship in business, we're in a relationship. We're in a business relationship that says, I'm going to trust you and you're going to trust me. It's a relationship. We always like say, oh, this business, not personal. Right. It's a business relationship. And so when you begin to look at how can I communicate effectively, I want to give you some tools to just up level communication and making people feel safe. Number one, people need to feel safe in relationships, business and personal. So how do you consciously make people feel safe? We have three agreements on our campus that we love to go by, and that is the agreement of no judgment. So when in a business meeting, I would open it with, first of all, can we all agree that there'll be no judgment here? It creates a safe space. 
We create conscious safe space. So that's number one, create conscious safe space. Because then people can tell you the truth. Because people are always worried what the truth will cost them. If I tell you the truth, I want to tell you the truth. But if I tell you the truth, what will it cost me? So that leads me to the second agreement of a safe space. The first agreement is no judgment, that you'll reserve judgment of others and you'll reserve judgment of yourself. The second agreement is no repercussions. So while we may need to take necessary action, that we will not hold against you what you said, that your truth is safe here. That's huge. And so to say that there be no repercussions. Now, when you're in certain environments, you may have to do follow up. But to say that there may be follow up, but there'll be no repercussions. And then the third, which works in some work environments and other work environments, you may have to reframe this, but that there's unconditional love. And what that means is be willing to accept me even when I'm not on my brightest day, that I still feel accepted. I still feel embraced. So whether you say unconditional love or whether you say unconditional acceptance, For the more structured, corporate, restringent environment, they need to hear love, but they may be able to digest acceptance. And so number one is that you create a safe space. And you can do this as an employee, as a middle manager, as a senior manager, as a VP. You can do this at any level. That's when you elevate the environment. Let's create a safe space for open dialogue. Every single one of our strategic planning meetings in my company starts with creating a safe space. Every single one. And we talk business, but we create a safe space so that we know our opinions can be heard. Remember, I started this particular segment on when people feel they're not heard. And then I said people are normally not heard because they're not speaking up. But then I followed that with people are not speaking up because they probably don't feel safe to speak up. And so your job is to make the space safe. Now, if you are the employee and you need to have a conversation with an employer you have the right to ask for a safe space. My son Jelani was 13, he's 25 now. When he was 13, he said, mom, I need to tell you something about my English class. Can I have a safe space? And I was like, whoa. I said, sure, son, it's safe. Go ahead, talk. He goes, no, 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 hold on. Do you agree to no judgment? I said, yes, son. Do you agree to no repercussions? I was like, oh, that's hard, but yes. Do you agree to unconditional love? Yes. So he not only just asked me for a safe space, he broke it down to what a safe space meant. And he even added one. He goes, and my fourth request, I was like, wait, it's only three. He goes, no, mom. He taught me something here, Jason. He said, no, mom, I get to ask for what I need to feel safe. Wow. He said, do you agree to not tell grandma? (laughs) And so as an employer, or an employee, you get to say, may I create a safe space so that I can share my truth with you? Use those words, write that down right now. May we create a safe space so that I can feel safe to share my truth with you. Then you get to hear yes or no. Lisa, this is so powerful. And I could imagine a leader of a team using this kind of language would create so much trust and bonding and productivity within the team. And then I love how you actually speak about the fact that any member of a team can be the champion to bring this kinds of conversation and language in the workplace. And earlier in the conversation, we talked about how when we get alignment, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We'd want to throw out the car when it's a radiator issue. But how do you make an assessment within your workplace to understand that there is an issue of trust that might not be able to create these kinds of safe spaces? And how do you make that decision to realize, like, should I be pushing forward in this space or should I be backpedaling and opening my horizon? 
The first thing is to be able to have courageous conversations. So I would create a segment or ask for a segment to be created inside an already organized structure, whether it's staff meetings, whether it's group meetings, whether it's online meetings to go. Can we create a segment where we spend 10 minutes on courageous conversations? And under the guise of courageous conversations, we create a safe space and we say the things that we need to say that's not necessarily easy to say. So I would set up, give it a landing place, give it a zip code, let it be a new existing space that we hold. As a manager, I would say we're going to begin to have courageous conversations. I'm flown in four times a year to a Fortune 500 banking institution simply to facilitate courageous conversations across an organization with 275,000 employees. And we'll have 400 people in the room and we'll have about 10,000 people on the webcast. And the whole thing is courageous conversations. And so it takes a moment because it's a new language for people and you have to set the precedent. So once you launch a courageous conversation, you then set the tone with a safe space. And the third thing you do is you're the first one to take a risk. So you don't set the tone up and then lean back. You set the tone up and then lean in with something that makes you a little nervous. And it might be something as far as if you're just testing the water so people can get used to it, you may risk sharing a feeling you have about a task. I'm going to give you an example. I like to launch the courageous conversations just with the acknowledgement that every time I take on a new project here, I get nervous. I know that I lead. I know that I'm known as a producer. But I get nervous because I don't want to let my team down. And I have to manage that fear constantly. You just open the space up. And people nod and go, oh, me too. And so I would say create a zip code for courageous conversations. Set the context for safe space. Guidelines for safe space. Those three agreements. And set the tone. This is not a space to complain and moan. This is a space to have forward moving conversations that might be uncomfortable to have. I'd be curious to ask you, since you've facilitated so many of these groups and working with these banks that bring these kinds of courageous conversations forward, what is the kind of transformation you see when companies and employees start embracing these kinds of methodologies in the workplace? Mm, The productivity has increased because the loyalty has increased. You give someone a safe space to have a courageous conversation and their loyalty increases to you. I personally know that resignation, the resigning rate has gone down. So people were on their final leg. They're like, I'm out. They're now choosing to stay. So loyalty, the retention rate has increased. The loyalty has increased. The productivity has increased. But I think the thing that feels the most exciting for me is that being in the workplace now It has more continuity and feels better for them because they're trusting each other more. I've been with this bank now. We're going into our third year. So everyone's been risking every three months for two years now. So now their conversations are richer. Now they're more vested in each other's life. Now they feel more connected. Now they run harder for each other. They're signing up for bigger jobs. They know that if they fall, they won't be abandoned. They won't be released. So now people are taking bigger risks. People are asking for what they want. It's amazing. And we did this particularly with certain demographics in the company, like the physically challenged. We did it with veterans in the organization. Then we did it with people who have 
come through cancer. We not only work with the organization, but then we brought groups and spotlighted them and let them have courageous conversations that the whole organization can hear. And so we spotlighted the difference to make the difference more alike. So I think that in an organization, as an employee or an employer, as a middle manager, that if you can be the advocate and champion for courageous conversations, and then on the other side of that, chart an intention, chart one to three intentions for only 90 days. People love to move together as a tribe and forward as a tribe. When you get everyone kind of doing that Rakanda, you know, where they were bouncing their shoulders and, and Black Panther and everyone kind of did it together. When you can get a group to do that as an organization, then everyone moves forward as an organization. And so coming out of courageous conversations, I always set 90 day intentions and I let people choose their own 90 day intention as a result of this conversation. So here's the question you asked. As a result of this courageous conversation, what intention and outcome do you want to run for over the next 90 days that we can cheer for you with? And then you let people go around and say it. And if it's too many people for everyone to talk, you have them turn in groups of three and share their powerful intention that came out of this courageous conversation that they want to take on for the next 90 days. Now you're investing in my life. So if you invest in my life, I'm investing in your company. And that's the thing. You're seeing this movement where companies have to invest within the individual's role and the individuals can invest in the company, this mutual relationship. It's all about trust. And these are such powerful, very human aspects of being a part of an organization. And I love what you said is about people say it's just business. Yeah, but just business is a bunch of people. And that's personal. You're doing business with people. So it's never just business. As long as I bring my humanity to the job, it's never just business. And who I am for the hours that I'm with you spills over into the time that I'm with my family. And so courageous conversations, safe space, setting intentions allows me to flow through this experience called my career, called my job, called my workforce with grace and ease, with humility and gratitude. And that, my friend, is all day a part of my life. So now I get to come home. And I get to move into my home life with that same grace and ease. When I tell you I've coached executives and when they were having a problem at the job, I first said, who are you being at home? And when their challenges were at the job, their stress level, I gave them some things to do at the job, better time management, what I call WAM, walk around management, walk around without a notepad, walk around and just check on people's families, walk around, spend no more than three minutes with each person, but in those three minutes, be present to them. Don't check on their task, check on the person. And I coached this executive to just begin to do wham because his team thought he's never around. He's never available. I said, okay, do one hour of wham a day and watch will change the climate. Ask about their children. And after doing it for like four weeks, he began to remember things like, oh, so how was your son's baseball game go? And did your wife get the flowers that you sent? How was your anniversary? And all of a sudden, people were like, whoa, he knows me. He sees me. Productivity rose. It just rose because people felt seen. As a result of that, he felt more relational and less accused at work. Then I gave him the homework to do some things with his family. I said, you have a three-year-old. You never see her. Your homework is to bathe her twice a week. You need to be daddy. Twice a week, bathe your baby. 
I saw him three months later, four months later, he's giggling and laughing and just a totally different person. Two things, wham and bathing his child, just shifting. It's just bringing back that human element. We all can step back into the workplace, understanding that, listen, we're all humans. We're all doing our best. If we build that environment of trust by having these courageous conversations, you're eliminating that layer of gossip. Everybody's steering the ships towards a path of greatness, of being superhumans ourselves. And now this is progressing companies to just start making the impact they're supposed to do, as opposed to deal with the politics that would come up from just having all these dysfunctions happening within communications realm. Absolutely. To have an agenda called adding value to the humanity of my business. That should be an agenda. You have sales and financing and operations and marketing, and it's also personal mastery. If I help you hit your personal best, then you're going to help me hit my business best. Lisa, thank you so much for your time. We covered some amazing insights here. This was extremely valuable for everybody listening. Listen, we can all step up the gears into being our best selves. We can eliminate these things we don't take responsibility for by speaking about the problems with people that can't even move the needle instead of having these courageous conversations, creating these safe spaces, bringing back that humanity in the workplace. And you will notice that your productivity is up, your level of innovation, cooperation, and your level of enjoyment of showing up to the workplace, doing your best, just skyrocketing rockets. And so Lisa, thank you so much for your time. This was extremely valuable. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. I always love spending time with you, brother. Thanks for tuning into this episode with Lisa Nichols. So many powerful insights. And if you've enjoyed this, be sure to leave us a rating and tell us what you enjoyed the most. And if you enjoyed this and know other people would, be sure to share this as we keep this content completely commercial free so we can focus on delivering you impact, insights, and amazing ideas in the process. This has been your host, Jason Campbell. And until next time, take care. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.